I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burr, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. HD you are listening to a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. You know, hopefully some of you have gotten to see inside Bill's brain. So we're not going to spend time getting into Bill the person. We're going to spend time talking about a few issues that uh, I know Bill is passionate about and I think that can have a huge impact the world over and certainly in India as well. And, and Bill, I want to start with climate change, right? Uh, I believe and I know you believe that it will be one of the defining challenges of the 21st century. I think impacts like weather events, sea levels rising, uh, islands getting flooded are going to have huge impact on the way people live and potentially have impact on health, have impact on mortality. I saw in the video that the potential of more than 9 million people dying additionally every year by the year 2050. So there's huge, huge implications of climate change. And I know you personally, and I know the Gates Foundation is spending a lot of time both on mitigation, which is how do I reduce carbon emission? And I know you're spending time through big through energy ventures on a personal capacity, really investing in technology that can pay off, as well as around adaptation, right? How do you adopt to this challenge? And I know you're spending time on, on seeds for farmers that can survive drought. You know, the Gates Foundation is very actively involved. So I want to start off with that. I have two questions. One is, what are you personally and what is the Gates Foundation doing both around mitigation and around adaptation? And then the second question is, what can we do to learn leveraging science and technology as governments, as citizens, to be more informed about climate change and the impacts of climate change? Because we oftentimes have this debate, is it real? Is it not real? What can come out of it? Yeah, so um, the I'm actually writing a book about climate change that'll come out next June. And it's to explain how we have to change the economy to get these emissions down to zero. You know, today we're emitting 51 billion tons, and that number has gone up every year. So the idea that some year it'll start going down, and some year it'll get to zero, uh, is very, very challenging. You know, most of the energy we use in the world today comes uh, from coal, natural gas, or uh, gasoline. And by the time you get to zero, you've basically gotten rid of those sources of energy and moved over uh, to nuclear, renewable, hydro, uh, which today make up less than 20%. Uh, the work on mitigation really requires immense innovation. I mean, there's innovations that people see already today. Electric cars, uh, over the next 10 to 15 years, they will outcompete gasoline cars without subsidies. So that's really good. Um, there's a new type of meat that's actually uh, made from just protein, not from a cow. Uh, that today it's a small price premium, but over time, the quality and the cost uh, should beat uh, normal ground beef, and that reduces uh, the greenhouse gas emissions. 
We have a lot of inventions that need to be made. For example, the way we make cement and steel uh, are extremely heavy emissions activities. And yet, you know, the world is going to build more buildings uh, between now and 2060 than exist today. As the world urbanizes, uh, you know, there's no way around uh, that we're going to use a lot of steel and cement. And so this is a very unusual thing. We have to accelerate innovation. We have to create rewards for innovation that might not come uh, if we didn't step in. Another thing that's very hard about this is that every country in the world has to participate. Uh, even if you leave out the low-income countries, you can't leave out the middle-income countries because 60% of humanity lives there, and uh, as we get out, a, a lot of the emissions will be coming from those countries, not just the rich countries. And so India is kind of paradigmatic. <clears throat> Can we innovate uh, so well that as India quadruples its electricity capacity and provides air conditioning and refrigeration and lighting uh, 24 hours a day reliably to everyone in the country, uh, that that's done in such a way that it doesn't emit greenhouse gases. If you had to do it today with today's technology, you would do it with coal uh, because the intermittency and challenges of renewables are, are quite large. So, so mitigation is hard. Because we're going to have warming, we need adaptation. And there we need much better seeds. I went to see, as you mentioned, uh, the chief minister of Bihar, uh, Nitish Kumar, uh, who I've seen him over the last 10 years, uh, a lot of great uh, work that he's done in Bihar that our foundation has been able to help with. This is the first meeting I have with him, and I didn't expect it at all, where he was talking about climate change. I mean, when I'm in Seattle or Washington, D.C., you know, or London or Paris, you know, that's the big topic. But I was impressed that in Patna, he was saying, hey, we have a problem with climate change and trying to, you know, get our advice and help about water supplies and seeds and what they can do to minimize the problem uh, of that. So this, this is a problem that young people are beginning to wake up to. Over the last five years, the energy behind it uh, has gone up dramatically. Uh, some people think it, it's easy to solve, you know, that you could solve it in 10 or 20 years. I wish that was true. We need to engage in a plan that will take 30 or 40 years uh, to get this done. So, uh, you know, I'm putting a lot of money and time into it because the people who would suffer the most are the poorest, uh, the poorest uh, in the north of India, in Africa, all over the world. It's the farmers uh, who will bear the, the brunt, even though they did nothing to cause the problem. And that's what I struggle with, Bill, because that's the inherent conflict, right? The conflict is that the fast emerging economies are saying, hey, look, we need to grow, and renewable energy can't keep up. But if you have climate change impact, the people at the lowest end of the pyramid in those countries themselves will suffer the most. So there's this challenge of growth, and yet the challenge of suffering that may come with that growth, depending on the energy sources that actually are available in those countries as well. That growth is necessary. Right. Uh, we cannot say to people, oh, too bad, you know, the rich world emitted so much greenhouse gas, you don't get to have air conditioning as the, your days are getting hotter and hotter. So we're going to have to make a lot more energy. Even if the rich countries cut in half how much energy they use, the middle-income countries, including India, deserve a lot more energy. And 
So we need new technology, uh, and this is really where my book focuses, that lets you generate that energy without greenhouse gases. If we froze technology today, we would face an impossible choice between letting people improve their lives uh, and emitting so much greenhouse gas that the warming would make the uh, tropical areas almost unlivable. Yeah. I know one of the energies you're very very excited about is nuclear power, and I know you're spending a lot of time on that. I know it has its own controversies around it, but tell us a little bit about why you're so excited. I know it's carbon emitting neutral, but what excites you about nuclear energy? Yeah, some of the things uh, you know we do, whether it's advanced seeds, uh, that can be controversial, family planning can be controversial. Uh, through my office, I've invested uh, hundreds of millions in a next generation of nuclear. Today's nuclear plants, uh, although they're fairly safe, they're not inherently safe, and they're a bit too expensive. And that design has been around for over 50 years. It wasn't designed with the digital computer. Now we can make a, a next generation, which is called the fourth generation, that is a lot better. Right. And what that does is it gives you 24 hours clean energy and you can put it near to where the power's needed. And so, you know, I can't say for sure that the world will accept nuclear because the current attitudes uh, vary a lot. It could be a key part of climate. So we need to pursue nuclear energy. We also need to pursue other breakthroughs, miracles in storage, geothermal, uh, so that we have these, these different sources. Um, right now, that uh, the goal is to build demo plants of this next generation, really show people that the economic, safety, waste, all those things can really be dealt with. What is your view, Bill, on investing in some of these technologies, right? Some of this, this may pay off. I know you're investing in companies like TerraPower. Uh, some of these may not pay off. You know, you're going to have bold philanthropy, perhaps, looking at investments that may or may not pay off. What is the role in investing in these technologies of the future? Is it the responsibility, in your view, of philanthropy, private market forces, government? You know, what do you think about that? Yeah, four years ago, at the Paris Climate Accord, uh, Prime Minister Modi came and was part of announcing uh, uh, what he called mission innovation. And that was a commitment of governments to double their energy R&D. So governments, in terms of basic R&D, which is open to everyone, they have a key role. In terms of regulations that encourage things like electric buses and cars, they have a lot to do to let you build a grid. When you put on intermittent power, you need to connect up the entire country because you have, you'll have parts of the country with no wind or no sun. So the only way to get reliability is to have as big a grid as possible. Uh, and so governments have a big, big role to play. The venture capital business had tried to do clean energy. Uh, a couple of venture guys did that, but it didn't go that well. So we created, with help from uh, people like John Dorr, Vinod Kosla, who are fantastic, mm -hmm. this new venture uh, group called Breakthrough Energy Ventures. I called 25 rich people, 21 said yes. Uh, so I got the billion dollars actually quite easily. And we'll do an, a number of rounds. So that group is now invested in 30 breakthrough ideas. Uh, we need to invest in about 100, I think, because about 10 to 15% typically will be successful. Energy is a lot harder than software. Uh, you know, software, you just do it, you put it out there, you get feedback. Um, 
with energy, it's the physical economy and it has to be reliable. And all the electrons are kind of the same. There's not some special market uh, out there. So this is going to be difficult. Uh, the person who understands this world best of all, Vaslav Shmiel, has written books about how slowly things change in the industrial economy. So we will be having more global cooperation, more innovation, more speed than ever in the history of the Earth. But that's what we need. You know, just one last question on climate change. The impact of climate change obviously is diseases, right? Vector-borne diseases like malaria. I know you're very passionately focused on malaria and eradicating malaria uh, like you did with polio. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that and about the challenges of climate change, about the changing goalposts because you don't know how it can actually spread further. Yeah, so 80% of the suffering from climate change will be uh, poor farmers. And how does climate change make them suffer? Uh, it's not just that they're hot during the day, although that, in some places, it's almost unlivable. It's that their crop will fail uh, more like every three years than every eight to 10 years. And their productivity every year will be lower. So that means more malnutrition, and that means they'll be dying of diseases. And so the way we respond to that is we have to come up with much better seeds, much better advice, credit for fertilizer, and we have to improve the health system. So even uh, you know, if they happen to get pneumonia or diarrhea, they don't die. The world has made huge progress on childhood death. It went from 10 million a year uh, back in 2000, now it's below 5 million a year. And we'd hate to reverse that. The, as you heat the world up, the mosquitoes can live at higher altitude. And a lot of the African cities are located exactly at the altitude where the, where the mosquitoes don't come. So as you get warmer, then the mosquitoes are thriving in places they never did before. So potentially, it's very bad. Now, we should have enough tools to get rid of malaria uh, independent of climate change. You know, malaria is pretty evil stuff even without uh, the temperature going up. But it's just an example of something that makes things worse. This was a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.